0: You are listening to the Kyle Talks podcast, hosted by Kyle Garlett yeah,
1: you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not bow, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's loyal and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. say coming to He sees you when you're
2: sleeping. He is Bruce Springsteen. I am Kyle Garlett, and this is the All Things Christmas edition of the Kyle Talks Podcast, taking you through all of the Christmas festivities you could possibly ask for, and a number that you haven't asked for. Now, as we do each and every episode, and Christmas is no different, we begin the show with our Survivor of the Week. Everyone loves a Christmas tree, and in the case of five-year-old Mallory Kate Hall of Cummings, Georgia, she gets to love two Christmas trees, one for her and her family, and one for the family and the child that gifted her a heart three Decembers ago.
3: We've always said after um, we received uh, this gift and her heart, that instead of a family of four, we were now a family of five. We're able to go back and relive the positive things and celebrate that life.
2: The tree that was decorated for the child that donated Mallory's heart only gets very special ornaments. It has one ornament that was given to Mallory while she waited for her heart transplant, and three ornaments, one hung for each heart transplant anniversary that she gets to celebrate. For Mallory's mother, it's all about remembering the child that is her daughter's living angel. To make
1: a selfless decision to give a little girl a chance at life, we we do our best to try to honor that family and that um, child. Little
4: boy or little girl lives in Mallory.
2: The tradition of the Christmas tree has its roots in the ancient symbolism of an evergreen tree representing life in the midst of a long winter. And as a symbol of life in the Hall household, two Christmas trees are definitely called for. May their second tree continue to be filled with new ornaments over the years, forcing them to get bigger and bigger trees. Kindergartner and heart transplant recipient, Mallory Kate Hall, you are our survivor of the week. And for our Hero of the Week, that honor goes to the good people at Open Bionics, a UK-based company that is developing a 3D-printed bionic hand, and they have just delivered one to 10-year-old Cameron Millar of Edinburgh, Scotland, just in time for Christmas. Millar was born without a right hand, but has always dreamed of playing the drums. Now he says he can. Similar prosthetics do exist, but this new 3D-printed version will be considerably cheaper to make, and thus it will be much easier to get. The way it works sounds something like out of science fiction. Sensors inside the sockets of the hand pick up signals from the muscles that would normally be moving the hand and fingers. The hand then translates those signals into the actual movements, making the hand react accordingly. Cameron, who loves Star Wars, good man Cameron, I like your taste, Cameron says that having the hand makes him feel like Luke Skywalker. All the best wishes to Cameron, his new hand, and may there be lots of snowball fights in his immediate future.
0: Tannenbaum, oh Tannenbaum, wie treu es deine Blätter, oh Tannenbaum, oh Tannenbaum, wie treu es deine Blätter, du grün, so nick nur some Summisite, nine o'clock in winter, Venice night. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, Vitrois and Dineble.
2: Christmas is so much about traditions inside your family and inside your culture. For me, listening to the great Nat King Cole singing Christmas songs is a tradition I'll always have. I absolutely love him and his rendition of O Tannenbaum, which is of course the German language version of O Christmas Tree and the original version dating back to the early 1800s. The Christmas tree is another one of those traditions that carries itself through many of the different cultures that celebrate Christmas. There may be some variations in decoration, location, when the tree is set up. But the Christmas tree is every bit the symbol of Christmas that Santa is. And how did that come to be? Well, it seems that no matter what your religious beliefs were in the past, evergreen trees in the winter had meaning. Pagans used fir branches as a means of reminding them of the spring to come. Ancient Romans decorated their temples with fir trees during the festival of Saturnalia. And Christians used fir trees to represent the everlasting life they were granted by God. The most likely first used Christmas tree was in Northeast Europe in the Middle Ages, and two cities have both laid claim to having the very first Christmas tree. Tallinn in Estonia in the 1400s, and Riga in Latvia in the early 1500s. Translations from the foreign texts also make these claims hard to verify, since tree, how we think of it today, may have meant pole or mast back then. There are also a number of trees documented in Germany in the 1500s, including what may be the first decorated tree dating to 1570 that was said to be decorated with apples, nuts, dates, pretzels, and paper flowers. This is also around the time that Christmas trees first went inside people's homes. Up until then, they were in town squares. The Christmas tree first made its way to Great Britain in the 1830s. And in 1841, they became popular in the country when Prince Albert, Queen Victoria's German husband, set up a Christmas tree at Windsor Castle. In 1848, a drawing of the tree appeared in the Illustrated London News, which was republished in a Philadelphia book in 1850, and from that point on, the Christmas tree has never looked back. Okay, so we know now where Christmas trees come from. How about Santa Claus? Well, Santa Claus can trace his roots back to 280 AD, in which is now modern-day Turkey. That is when and where Nicholas was born, a man who later became Saint Nicholas because of his much-admired piety and kindness. He is said to have given away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and sick. He would later become known as the protector of children, and his feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, December 6th. This became known traditionally as a lucky day to make large purchases see where this is going by the renaissance he was the most popular saint in europe and even after the protestant reformation when saints became frowned upon he was still popular especially in holland now in dutch saint nicholas is pronounced saint Niklaus, which evolved into a nickname sinterklaus and in december of 1773 a new york newspaper reported on a group of dutch immigrants gathering together to honor the anniversary of his death, that the death of Sinterklaas. Now, in 1804, woodcuts of Saint Nicholas were distributed as part of the annual gathering of those Dutch immigrants, and in the background of those engravings, there were images of stockings filled with toys hung over a fireplace. In 1809, Saint Nicholas was dubbed the Patron Saint of New York, which was heavily Dutch. You may remember that it was originally called New Amsterdam before becoming New York in the 1600s. And then in 1822, a man named Clement Clark Moore wrote a Christmas poem for his daughters called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas. Now, you may not recognize the name of the poem, but you've heard it many times, in fact. It begins, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." It is from this poem that much of the imagery of Santa Claus was created, in that poem, he was given a white beard, a round belly, he was pulled by a slave of eight reindeer, and he was described as a jolly old elf. Years later, in 1881, political cartoonist Thomas Nast, using Moore's imagery, created the first likeness of the Santa Claus that we see today. Moore, in his poem, referred to Santa being dressed in of fur. Nast made that suit red. He also gave him his wife, Mrs. Claus, his North Pole workshop, and his toy-making elves. Here comes Santa Claus.
3: Here comes Santa Claus. Riding down Santa Claus land. Blitzen, blitzen, all ears, the reindeer pulling on the rain
4: Bells are ringing, children sing, all is merry and bright. Hang your stockings and say your prayers.
2: Come of course, while Santa Claus was evolving into the American icon that he is today, the rest of the world was seeing its own iterations of the Christmas celebration change with time as well. German and Swiss children were being visited by a man named Kris Kringle. At least the well-behaved children were. Kris Kringle, or Christkind, which means Christ child, is an angel-like figure accompanied by St. Nicholas. In Scandinavia, a jolly elf named Joltelmenten delivers gifts in a sleigh that is drawn by goats. In Russia, the story goes that an elderly woman named Babushka intentionally gave the three wise men incorrect directions to Bethlehem, making it hard for them to find the baby Jesus. She later felt bad about this, and now on January 5th, she leaves gifts at the bedside of all the little children in hopes that the baby Jesus will forgive her. Yes, some of these stories sound absolutely ridiculous. Not at all like the totally sane story that a fat man from the North Pole goes down every single chimney in the world to deliver gifts to a couple of billion children. Yes, that's what makes Christmas so special. It's the belief in the unbelievable, the belief that anything is possible this time of year. But some beliefs that have spread around the world are well, simply insane or downright mean. In Iceland, there is said to be a beast known as the Yule Cat that stalks the hills. And if a child doesn't receive new warm clothes before Christmas Eve, the Yule Cat will eat them. In Austria, they have the Krampus, a half-goat, half-demon Christmas devil who beats naughty children with tree branches. Men dress as the Krampus and participate in Christmas parades, presumably for no other reason than to terrify the children and make them seek years of therapy as an adult. And you thought your first visit to Santa was traumatic. In Norway, you're not allowed to clean on Christmas Eve because all brooms need to be safely locked away. Apparently, there are evil spirits and witches about, and they might steal the brooms. Now, not all weird traditions are meant to scar children's childhoods. Some are just, well, weird. In the Ukraine, they skip the tinsel and lights and ornaments and instead decorate their Christmas trees with fake spiders and spider webs. In Slovakia, the most senior man of the house takes a spoonful of of a traditional Slovakian dish known as laksa pudding, which is made from honey, poppy seeds, milk, and bread, and he hurls it at the ceiling. The more that sticks, the better your luck for the upcoming year. And in Catalonia, they have the cockatio, which is also known as the pooping log. No, you did not hear me wrong, and no, I am not making this up. One end of the log is given a face, and the other end is placed into the fire. And then you beat on the log with sticks, ordering it to poop out gifts for the children. Big gifts are said to come from the three wise men, but small gifts like candies and nuts are said to come from the log via defecation. Catalonians also have the Caganar, which is a special figurine that is placed somewhere in the nativity scene. Now, if you recognize that Caganar and Cagatillo sound very similar, you are rightfully intrigued or horrified maybe, because the Caganar is a figure of a man squatting and defecating and he is placed somewhere near the manger. The Catalonians would, would would like to assure us that there is no disrespect intended to the baby Jesus. A pooping man is good luck because he fertilizes the land and provides a good harvest. Personally, I'm going to stick with the bag of Miracle-Gro or Scott's Turf Builder. The Caganar ain't for me. I like my manger and my baby Jesus just as they are. Christmas is rife with traditions. For me and my family, we do a traditional Christmas Eve picnic under the Christmas tree. It began back when my mother was just a child and thought that the Christmas celebration wasn't complete without a birthday party for Jesus. So a picnic menu of cheeseburgers, deviled eggs, baked beans, potato chips, and pickles, and later my father's homemade eggnog became the traditional meal. And it is carried on to this day by aunts and uncles and cousins all throughout the world. For me, it isn't Christmas Eve without a cheeseburger, eggnog, and a birthday cake, which, of course, is angel food cake. Music is also a Christmas tradition for many families, and no season is better for traditional music than Christmas. Everyone has their favorites, but most people would agree that it is not Christmas until we hear the voice of the one and only Burl Ives.
4: Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas, and when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet.
2: Interesting note of all of the Burl Ives Christmas songs that have been sung, he never once recorded a cover for what is widely considered to be the best and most popular Christmas song of all time, White Christmas. He left that to Bing Crosby. Number two on that list, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It was first introduced to the world by Judy Garland in the musical Meet Me in St. Louis. But the most famous version is the one sung by Frank Sinatra.
4: Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart Troubles will be miles away. Here we are as in olden days. Happy golden days.
2: The lyrics of this song are some of the most beautiful ever written and written during World War II, at a time when the world was desperate for beauty. It has also been covered by some of the most beautiful voices in music, being Crosby, naturally, Doris Day, Ella Fitzgerald, Luther Vandross. They all have recorded versions of this timeless Christmas classic. Now, third on the list of Christmas classics, and even if you aren't into the Christian aspects of the holiday, religious and secular observers alike adore O Holy Night a moving adaptation of a French poem written in 1843 to commemorate the refurbishment of a local church organ by a local poet who is said to have been unreligious himself. It is, of course, about the birth of Jesus and the redemption of humanity that followed.
0: Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, hear the angel voices Oh, night divine, oh, oh, night when Christ was
2: born. There was, of course, more of the great Nat King Cole. Now, number four on our list of favorite traditional Christmas songs is one of my favorites, Little Drummer Boy. And perhaps my favorite of all of the many versions of the song is this one, Sung by Ray Charles.
1: Come, they told
4: me, poor Upper Bumpo. The newborn came to see poor Bumpo. Our finest gifts we've. Now, little baby, pour up pom I am a poor boy to pour up a bump. I Fit to give our king.
1: <laughs>
2: that song is great. Ray Charles somehow makes it even better. Fabulous stuff. Now on to our fifth and final song in the list of most favorite Christmas classics. It's the song that gets me dancing around ready to put up decorations. This is my hang ornaments on the tree song. This is my rap presents and get excited for people to open them song. For me, this song speaks to exactly how I feel about Christmas, and it's sung by another of the great voices of Christmas time, Andy Williams.
3: It's the most wonderful time of the year.
2: There is, of course, one of the better Christmas songs, Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC. Not only is it a rap Christmas song that works, it's also featured prominently in the best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. I know, I know, there are some people out there who will claim that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. There are also some people who swear up and down that kale tastes great. Just because someone says it, it doesn't make it so. The evidence that Die Hard is a Christmas movie is overwhelming and incontrovertible just two minutes into the film, Mr. Takagi is addressing his employees at the party at the Nakatomi Plaza and he wishes everyone a Merry Christmas. As John McClane is riding in the limo into Century City, he makes a request for Christmas music from Argyle, who of course dials up the aforementioned Christmas in Hollis. As McClane checks in at the security desk at Nakatomi Plaza, he's whistling Jingle Bells. Then as he arrives upstairs and at the party, a drunk employee gives him a kiss and wishes him a Merry Christmas. And as McLean meets and chats with Mr. Kagagi while waiting for his wife in her office, he comments about celebrating Christmas in Japan. That is a half dozen references to Christmas within the first 10 minutes of the film, with Christmas music featuring prominently in the score. Then there is a consistent use of Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Night Symphony, which appears on almost any album that bills itself as a classical Christmas album. It's played uh, in background music, and even Hans, even Hans Gruber is heard humming it. When Sergeant Powell first answers the call and goes to check in on the Nakatomi Plaza, he is singing the song, Let It Snow, which he'd heard playing on the speakers at the AM-PM where he'd just been buying food when the call came in. And at the very end of the film, when McLean is reunited with Argyle, they exchange Merry Christmases and then the closing credits begin underneath Let It Snow before continuing under Ode to Joy and of course the biggest reason of all that this is a Christmas movie, the film taking place on Christmas Eve is integral to the plot. Hans Gruber has planned this heist for this time specifically because on Christmas Eve, all of the Nakatomi executives are gathered together in one place for the party, but also because it's Christmas Eve, the rest of the building is empty. Hans has all of the people he needs and none of the people who might get in the way. Except, of course for one such person, John McClane, who is visiting Los Angeles from New York because it's Christmas. No Christmas, you have no John McClane, and no Hans Gruber, for that matter. This isn't just a movie that just happens to take place on Christmas Eve. The plot requires that it takes place on Christmas Eve. It even has a ho-ho-ho. Now I have a machine gun. Ho-ho. No film in cinematic history has ever contained a ho-ho-ho and not been a Christmas movie. It's like how no Matthew McConaughey movie exists without him taking a shirt off. There simply is no separation of the two elements. Ergo, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and that is not in dispute. Oh sure, there are still some who dispute this, but just like flat earthers and moon landing deniers, they can be dismissed as kooks and imbeciles and people who to be pitied for their poor lot in life. As for where it ranks on the all-time great scale, well, in amongst the yippee Kaye, welcome to the party, pal, now I have a machine gun, come out to the coast, we'll get together, we'll have a few laughs, there is perhaps my favorite line of all, uttered by the late Paul Gleason, aka Deputy Police Chief Dwayne T. Robinson. We're gonna need some more FBI guys, I guess. In the pantheon of great Christmas movies, Die Hard Reigns Supreme.
1: Masses all around me, and so the feeling grows. It's written.
2: Just because one is the best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard, it does not mean that we can't have much love for other great Christmas films. Now, I conducted an informal poll this past week among my Facebook friends and followers to see which Christmas movie they consider to be the best, which are their favorites, and it turned into a two horse race between the Frank Capra classic It's a Wonderful Life and the movie that warrants its own 24 hour marathon each Christmas season, A Christmas Story. Ultimately, it was Ralphie, Randy, Flick, Mother Parker, and Old Man Parker, Scott Farkas, and the Bumpuses who won outright. The Christmas Story was the very unscientific poll winners as our favorite Christmas movie. For Star Power, there is no debating the merits of It's a Wonderful Life. It's Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed and Frank Capra, a guy with an entire storytelling genre named after him. A Christmas Story is Peter Billingsley, Darren McGavin, and director Bob Clark, who had just come off Porky's and Porky's 2 the next day. Not exactly it happened one night and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. But really, if not for porkies, we might not have a Christmas story. Bob Clark fell in love with the idea of a Christmas story back in the late 1960s when he heard writer Gene Shepard on the radio telling stories about growing up in Indiana in the 1930s. Shepard had written a book that contained a collection of the stories called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, and Clark knew he wanted to make those stories into a movie problem was Clark was at best a B-movie director who commanded low budgets and low-profile pro, low actors. He was not in a place to make the kind of movie that he wanted to make. That is until more than a decade later when Porky's became a success at the box office and he was able to convince MGM to give him money to make his BB gun movie. It's an initial theatrical run. Christmas Story made $19 million. Not bad for a movie that cost only $4.5 million to make. And really not bad when you consider that more than $50 million in video and DVD sales have been made since. And that does not take into account the money made from the 50 million viewers who tune in each year for part of the 24-hour marathon on TBS on Christmas Day. Now, child actors in Christmas films have a pretty good track record of becoming Hollywood mainstays. McCauley Kalka, notwithstanding. In National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, the funniest of all the Christmas films, the two Griswold children were played by 16 year old Juliette Lewis and 14 year old Johnny Galecki. Lewis was nominated for an Oscar in the years that followed and most recently did a run on the popular series Secrets and Lies. And Galecki is, of course, the uber star of the Big Bang Theory. Thomas Brody Sangster, The Young Boy from Love Actually, which, of course, was the song that was just playing, another of the favorite Christmas movies. He has steadily worked as an actor in the 14 years since he played the drums and won The Girl with the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom on hand to see it. He did a turn on Doctor Who, was on a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, starred in The Maze Runner, and can now be seen on the Netflix miniseries Godless. Peter Billingsley, Ralphie, who nearly shot his eye out, he did not go on to become a recognizable star of the silver screen. But perhaps you have heard of a little film called Iron Man. Billingsley produced that. He's collaborated with John Favreau on several of his films. He's been a part of the creative team with good friend Vince Vaughn on a number of his projects. Billingsley has directed a couple of features and has been the executive producer for three seasons on the sports documentary series Undeniable with Joe Buck. The little boy who hates Ovaltine is terrified of Scott Farkas, accidentally lets the F-word fly, leading to a long session with soap in his mouth, is tormented by the pink nightmare of a present given to him by Aunt Clara, but finally after all of that is rewarded with the holy grail of christmas gifts the red rider 200 shot range model carbon action air rifle he's actually quite the big deal in hollywood and will forever be quite the big deal on christmas
0: so this is christmas and what
1: have you done another And And so this is Christmas. Christmas
2: One want the film note before we say goodbye for the Christmas break. This isn't a Christmas movie, but it's a movie I saw recently, and to me it perfectly encapsulates what Christmas means to me. It's the movie Wonder, which I found to be deep in human storytelling at its absolute best. Owen Wilson was perfectly cast as the father, Julia Roberts is her usual Julia Roberts self, which is to say that when she's on the screen it's impossible not to love the performance. This was a reminder of just what a great actress she really is. And I love Mandy Patinkin, and I think he strikes strikes just the right tone as a school principal. But the kids in this film, man, the kids are phenomenal. You expect for a big Hollywood release that the children will be good, but to be able to convey the complexities of human emotions, to see see the struggle on their faces as they walk the true life tightrope of doing the right thing and doing the thing that will make them popular in school, really outstanding. If you have not seen Wonder yet, go see Star Wars The Last Jedi, and then go see Wonder. Not to give anything away, but the film really is all about the gifts we have to give to each other. And in the end, the greatest gift we have is the gift of forgiveness. It's Christmas, and I couldn't help but think of the parallels between the strength and salvation and that forgiveness coming from a small and unlikely package and from the child that was hidden, that was mocked, that was scorned, that appeared frail and inconsequential, and how he turns out to be the best of all of us. This Christmas week, as we think about the blessings of the season and the gifts that we are able to give, find the person in your life that you are the greatest at odds with. Take that person, take that conflict, and put it in the past. Give the gift of forgiveness for them and for you. Start your relationship anew. Make this Christmas a Christmas to remember. God bless everyone. There will be no show next week as I am taking the Christmas week off. But I will be back after the new year with all new series of podcasts. Until then, Merry Christmas, everyone.
0: The Kyle Talks Podcast is a 1010 Media Production. Goodbye.